This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll enjoy, Play On Podcasts. These are epic audio adventures that reimagine Shakespeare's timeless tales featuring original music compositions and the voices of award-winning actors. Each episode explores plays from Macbeth to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way you can actually understand and created specifically for the podcast form by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors, and composers, and they're performed by stage and screen's best. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. It's podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it's Spooktober? It's Spooktober, and we're not going to make a big thing about when we're actually recording this. It's August 11th. Way, way to make... Okay. We have guests. Yes. Spooktober lives in all of our hearts all the time. Keep it all the, all the year, always. We have guests here. Hi, guests. Introduce yourself. Will our favorite guest introduce themselves first <gasps> hey guys it's christina <laughs> <laughs> you've been dying to hear my voice uh i knew i was i knew i was the favorite from jump kind of the second craig started talking i said oh favorite it's time for me to get in mm-hmm. um there's somebody else here who i guess matters a lot less but i'll let her introduce herself too mm-hmm. who are you though wait <laughs> you didn't Wait, who? Oh, it's me, Christina Tucker, um, a, a real friend, a friend of the pod, a friend of uh, Spooky Babies. And, and we have a guest spooks. who needs no introduction. Yeah, sure, like, come apparently. on, y'all. Come on, y'all. And I, we have, there's another friend here also. I really took all of her thunder, so sorry. Yeah, you really did. Hi, everyone. It's Camille Washington. Are we doing last names? I guess that's my name. <laughs> You can if you want, if you want to give your Christian names on this podcast. My government name, yeah. Coming out of my long hibernation, I know you've been waiting. McRib is back, baby. Here I am. (laughs) Friend of the pod. (laughs) Wow, just when I thought I was, you know, really putting up too much saison on it by calling myself the favorite, you called yourself Mm -hmm. the McRib. The McRib. Seasonal only, baby. (laughs) Seasonal promotion only. (laughs) <laughs> what Andrew for folks who have are tuning in for the first time they're having a rip roaring time they don't know what's going on tell them ground them in the pod that's gonna hit their ears for the next this is a book podcast time. every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before usually and then they tell the other people about it and this week our special guests our favorite and the McRib <laughs> I guess the, their nicknames <laughs> have come on to tell us about a very special and very spooky book that they read which some one of you one of you tell us about about the book and its author it's called a certain hunger that is the title of this book and it Uh is very spooky Mm -hmm. and it's very cool Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna definitely remember the author's full name at any moment chelsea Chelsea g G summers yeah um and Yeah, it is a book that I found somehow and said, 
I think that I should read this creepy book about um, a murderous chef or murderous food critic who eats people. And then I said, Camille, I think you should also read this book and read it. We did, my friends. And we're here Mm -hmm. to tell you all about the spooky pleasures of eating men, frankly. (laughs) You you clamored to us that you (laughs) needed to tell us about this book. Why? Well, I guess we'll uncover why over the we'll course of this episode, why's. but yes, I mean, yeah, I think I truly think Camille just texted me and was like, "We should probably go on overdue and talk about a certain hunger," and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like the correct plan." Yeah, and I don't know if we've done a cannibalism book so in our five hundred and fifty-ish episodes, right? I that looked we? at I looked at books that have cannibals in them, Andrew. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, and we have we have covered books in which cannibals exist. Mm-hmm. Sure. And do But things. have we done one from the cannibal's point of view? <laughs> I don't know that we have. Like you got like I I wouldn't count under the skin cuz that's an alien thing. Like mm. we have we have not done any of the Hannibal Lecter books. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done like Moby Dick and we've done Heart of Darkness. Sure. And w- and we've done Life of Pi. We should say up front that this is probably going to be an explicit episode. Oh, it's, it's definitely going to be an explicit this episode. Is a, it's a, we have we wonder we run a wonderful book pod for teens here. But if you're in mixed company, or you can't get your parents to buy you a ticket, uh, maybe <laughs> the teens have to learn about cannibalism sometimes. Well, that's true. Fair. And it's episodes like this where we get emails from like high school teachers and educators who are like, "I used your podcast to help teach kids about a book," and I'm like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> Really? I will bravely say that this book about a woman sucking and fucking her way through the world and also Uh killing people and Mm -hmm. eating them, it's not appropriate for children. Okay. I will say that. It's quite gruesome. It is Mm -hmm. sexually explicit. The violence is quite explicit. It's beautiful, but it's a lot. And a lot even for readers who are of of the age of majority in their respective nation states. <laughs> so just know that, just like a general content warning for all of the bad things. Okay. Things mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. disclaimed. Yeah. Great. About this book. This book was published in 2020. Um, I think a wonderful year, great yeah. year. all around. Ten, ten, no notes. Uh, it is <laughs> Summers's debut novel. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been, I think, write started writing it in like 2011 or so. She says, and it took six mm-hmm. years to finish, and then it took several years to find someone who was willing to publish it. I can't, I can't even imagine why. Yeah, she's. <laughs> Uh, her website's essentially entirely broken, so most of what I know about Chelsea G. Summers is from scrolling through her Twitter feed. Like it's literally a a big full page ad for the audiobook version of A Certain Hunger, and then you try to click any links for any follow up information, and it all goes to four hundred four not found pages. Uh, so yeah, under construction, I guess. But I I know that she says as of August fifth, twenty twenty two, that the book is still shipping about 500 copies every week, which is wild, uh, that publishers passed on the book more than 30 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, <laughs> and I know that she's born in or around 1962 based on a tweet about being 60. 
So that's, that's what I got. She's a freelance. She's also a freelance writer. She wrote for Adult Magazine. Okay. Uh, she has PhD training in 18th century British literature, which I take to mean she didn't finish it, yep, but you know, she did go correct. for it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's it's, what I got about Chelsea. It's G. difficult to find her writing for Adult Magazine because you Google Adult Magazine and <laughs> Google's like, safe search is off, bud. Get ready. And you can't find it. It's mm-hmm. difficult. Well, because it's defunct also. Yeah. Well, and there, but there are some audio clips, I believe, there are. that you can purchase. Mm-hmm. Yes, on um, her band camp, I think. <laughs> that, or someone's nice. band camp. Yes, indeed. And also interesting to note that this book came out as an audio book first. Yes, and audible then, picture. Uh, yeah. yeah, which is interesting. So I have not listened to the entire audio book. I, I was listening to it on the train, and then I would pivot back to my mm. um not a dead tree book it was it was on my ipad but um but yeah i was really living in your word book yeah yeah living in a, in a lot of mediums mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> she's a girl who loves multiple formats and we can't say, she blame se- her for that she really seems just like a mixed media experience of a person Oh, yes. I thought we were talking about Camille. We're talking about Chelsea G. Summers. I actually, honestly, in many ways, I think it's the same. Two things can be true. I think it's the true. same for both. Um, I really, really do. I like to think mm-hmm. of myself as an omni-channel type. Sure, sure. Um, she, in her, she was, what does her bio say? You know, she is a recovering academic, an ex-stripper, and a woman of a certain age. She lives in Manhattan and writes almost exclusively about sex, she says. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think she whips is what <laughs> I feel. She just seems tight. She seems like a cool chick. Her Twitter account's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. She she got a haircut recently. She got her ears re-pierced recently. I know this from her Twitter feed also. These are all really important details to know about an author, I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's an interview with her on HeyAlma.com where she talks a little bit about this book. She says, publishing companies think, oh, uh, why this book wouldn't sell. Publishing companies think they won't sell, so in part it's simple capitalism, talking about books about violent women, I think. Uh, And second, these stories make people feel uncomfortable because the mere existence of violent women who lack remorse flies in the face of what we think of as femininity. And there is a lot of lacking of remorse in this book. <laughs> Let me tell you what. You're going to find a lot of things. Uh, remorse is not super high on that list of things that you're going to find here. Okay. Within these pages or uh, orally as Camille <laughs> took it. <laughs> oh, or- orally. Orally. Yeah. I, I realized I'd lost the thread on that one about halfway through the word itself. But, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So can you can, <laughs> can you orally tell us how you came to find this book in the first place? And in this one, I do mean O-R-A-L, orally. Sure, sure. With your mouths. I do believe I had come across a TikTok. I believe mm. it was a tick, a tickety-tockety. I've heard um, of these. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and I think it was just like, do you like women being bad in books and them also being well-written books? Read this. And I saw the cover and I said, well, that's evocative. Let me, let me take a Google. And then I read like the, the log line or whatever. And I said, well, hell yeah. And you know who else <laughs> I think would love this little experience? My good friend, Camille. Yeah. Let and me share this knowledge. <laughs> well, and I had been seeing that same tickety talkity because book talk as the teens call it has mm. 
couple two tree 12 books that they like yeah. to recommend on repeat and this is one of them and typically yeah Susanna and I did an episode about a Casey McQuiston book mm-hmm. which I understand is also a big book talk yep presence yeah, yeah. there's also a lot of Colleen Hoover on book talk mm. yes. which I can't necessarily support but this particular book talk recommendation really came through for us I think Mm, okay mm, oh yeah did, for sure yeah did and we read it and said this is a hero and we <laughs> support women <laughs> <laughs> did anyone refer to this book as she has which is instead of eat pray love but love pray eat well that's Jesus. And pray is spelled with an e well that see oh no she's a real good time gal <laughs> She, I mean, so here's another gem from her Twitter account from mere, just two hours ago as we record this, like two months ago as you're listening to it. Sure. But uh, somebody tweeted that they couldn't believe that this book had not been optioned to be a TV show. And Chelsea G. Summers says, uh, I could say something, but I also cannot. And now I'm just seeing the amazing promo poster for the show that does say Eat, Eat Pray, Pray Love. Love or yeah. Love Pray Eat on it with the with E in the prey yeah yeah no, i think it just sort of yeah be a show. maybe not an hbo max series anyway. well i don't think there are going to be many of those, <laughs> those anymore <laughs> you probably get it on hmm what's the weirdest horniest one showtime, showtime. Yeah, obviously showtime. Okay. Showtime. yeah showtime yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean the home of dexter himself who else is better qualified and they brought that guy love back that guy and love they that did. guy because that's the one thing everybody said about the series finale of Dexter is like, man, I'm so sorry that this is ending. <laughs> there's a lot, there's so much more story so to much tell. To be told here. Mm-hmm. So much missing. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew again here to tell you about our sponsors this week. One of them, Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. Maybe you have very specific culinary preferences that you want to tell the world about. Well, the best way to get the word out, it just might be a website. Squarespace has easy drag and drop tools, beautiful templates. They have 24-7 customer support, and you never need to touch any code. You never need to patch or upgrade anything ever. It's a great way to make a website, even if you have never made one before. Let me tell you about some of the features of Squarespace that we like here at Overdue. Email campaigns. You can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and your logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You can get powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you own all the content you put on Squarespace, so they offer one-click data portability, so if you ever do need to pack your bags and go, you can do that. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a brand spanking new website or a brand spanking new domain. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It's easy to focus on problems instead of solutions. Things like... Why can't I get someone to publish my book about a horny, sexy cannibal lady? I can't figure it out. Well, it can help to have someone to talk to about your problems, and that's why we like BetterHelp. 
A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. People in my life have used BetterHelp to navigate their feelings about the pandemic or their jobs. Uh, I've used therapy to help me handle parenthood and all its many joys and hardships. And there's not a lot that therapy cannot help with, honestly. Uh, If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online, uh, much like myself. Uh, Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. I was reading a bunch of reviews of this book and they're all like, yeah, it's very engagingly written and a little horny and a lot gross <laughs> i would say it's a lot horny and a I lot, say it's a lot horny? horny and a lot okay. gross yeah okay okay yeah i would i would also say that i mean the thing about the way her writing is is that all of like the the writing about food the writing about sex and the writing about killing really all just merge together as like this kind of hot disgusting appetizing but revolting just like mishmash after a while especially if you like i tend to read in just like one long gulp it's a very hard book to do in like you know four hours of just this is where i am now i'm in this woman's mind but it's really fun yeah and it's like (laughs) it's overwritten in the way that a lot of food writing is overwritten. So like everything is unctuous, slippery, all of those kinds of... She was doing wine writing, I think, Mm -hmm. as she started on this book. So like she was in that place and she just kind of slid over. She also told a story to somebody about how she went to a party and her friend was doing tarot readings and was like, you're done writing about yourself. Stop blogging. This card says write about something else. And it sometimes the tarot book. knows. The tarot sometimes knows. the right answer is stop writing about yourself. <laughs> I, I like that, that she I like that it, she credits that to a tarot person and not to like the economics of the yeah. long form personal essay. Stop, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um so what is start where does the book start or what what premise do we want to start with? So the book is written in the first person. Um, Our narrator is named Dorothy. And we learn that Dorothy is currently incarcerated. So she is writing to us and telling us her story from prison. And she's just like a lot of personality from jump. Um, (laughs) And her name is her full name is Dorothy Daniels, which Mm -hmm. which really screams uh, like romance novel or porn name. Yeah, (laughs) like right from the jump. It really does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does. And She says, you know, like, I know that you're reading this because I'm famous and I'm hot shit. Like, I know that you picked this up because of my notoriety. And she literally has some lines that are like, you think you know, but you have no idea the real world. (laughs) And so she's very fun. (laughs) She's very fun. So she's obviously she's really smart. She, you get from Jump, she's really a talented writer and communicator. And she also has a very high opinion of herself. And mm-hmm. the thing is, she can kind of back it up. Like, we get the physical description of her, and she's like, I'm six feet tall, I have fiery red hair, and what I'm hearing is, so you're a white Meg the Stallion. 
<laughs> Color me intrigued. Boy. <laughs> I think you are probably top among the only people on earth who thought, who read tall, red hair and said, ah, yes, a classic white Meg the Stallion type. <laughs> What's a stallion if not a hot tall woman? That's all that's required. A flowing mane. They should. They should really have you as the casting director of this of this TV show, and you just put out you put out the bulletin looking for a a white Meg the Stallion type. Blamo. Blamo. Yeah, I mean, I knew she was quite hot from the opening, which is her picking up the last man she murders. Um, and he approaches her at a hotel bar and says, you have resting bitch face. And I said, well, color me intrigued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like a type for CTs. <laughs> it does. Um, yeah, and she's writing from prison, which is always fun. She is uh, quite insufferable about the conditions of prison in only the ways that like a wealthy white woman could be. She's mm. like, all of these women are depressing me. The food here cannot express enough how bad it is. It is mm-hmm. so bad, and I mm-hmm. ha- I do hate eating it. Um, and a lot of the early parts are really just her being like, So here's the thing about my story. Obviously, it was attention grabbing. Obviously, everybody knows who I am. But do you really know who I am? Mm, Tough to say. Really tough to say. And I don't really know if she ever actually answers that question. Like, by the end of the book, you do have a better idea of why she does the things she does. But it's really just kind of her saying, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm hot shit. Who doesn't want to know about me more? Yeah. And like here you are blessed with the opportunity to catch my vibe. Um, The vibe is disdainful, uh, particularly towards men. Um, One of her main complaints about prison is that there are so many people. I've never liked people. And now I like them less. They're nearly all women, too. I've so little to play with. And so she finds the men to be incredibly simple creatures that are just really toys for her enjoyment, Mm -hmm. which I have Mm -hmm. to say speaks to me. (laughs) It does speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) So you're getting I mean, I I think that when you are when you're reading or watching a TV show or watching a movie or whatever, when it's like a first person or close third person account from the mind of a criminal there's often sort of an unreliable narrator element to it, but it didn't sound like that was really a thing with this book. Like, do you get any sense of of that or does it seem like she's just kind of telling it like it is? It feels very much like she is telling it like it is, if only to impress her audience with how much what she's telling is how great she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how little she it, cares. Like she, yeah. there is a line where she says, really, why would I lie? Like, and mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, yeah, why would you lie? You have, no reason to do so quite yeah, literally not it, there's point. like a there were some bold comparisons in some of the reviews to like stuff like lolita with this mm-hmm. book of like the narrator trying to explain or or otherwise just describe the horrible things that they've done or felt or whatever but that has more unreliability i think because there's some obfuscation going on this sounds like it's like what if what if you could girl boss a a a guy to death with your teeth (laughs) i mean in many ways she is kind of saying like i did girl boss a bit too close to the sun okay Um, i mean she is in jail she she does kind of she's like so there were i did a lot of i did honestly 
not even that many murders if you think about it like Mm. in the scope of her lifetime she kills four people Uh, that's not that many i mean that's fine right Mm -hmm. we can all agree that's a fine number um but she does she is capable of admitting like and here was a mistake i made i made this mistake which got me caught i made this other mistake in this poorly planned murder yeah one of the murders big enough to see that yeah she is and she's just like this was like a fucking pain in the ass i did not think this through all the way and so that's that's nice and feels like kind of bracing realism i will also say we've been talking about her as a cannibal i would argue that she is a murderer who happens to enjoy cooking small pieces of her victims she is not like a cannibal first and foremost yeah. So so she's not she's not killing them so she can eat them. She's killing them and then is like, well, well I've got all this. No, she, I've got all this. This person is this person is meat now. She's definitely killing them the, so that she can eat them. But I feel like when we talk about cannibals, we feel like you know you're eating this person from the rooter to the tutor. She's not doing that. She's really like, I have a specific cut of you in mind, and so mm-hmm. that will inform the way that I kill you but it's not like cannibalism is a lifestyle she's just like interested in different different flavors to savor this is a really 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 narrow <laughs> like line that you're trying it to... is a very narrow line and i understand that what camille's saying sounds fully bonkers mm-hmm. but i will say reading the book you are kind of like well yeah i mean if you've eaten as much good food as this woman has eaten, and if you have, say, accidentally, kind of on purpose, run over a guy who was annoying you in Italy and realize that his intestines, as they were spilled out across the road, looked much like they do at a butcher shop, I might also think, might as well snag his liver and bring it on home, see what we can do with that. And he yeah, was a vegan, so that was the cleanest liver mm. she was likeliest likely to ever encounter and so that's part of her hmm. thought process i feel like we should actually tell you something about the plot because i, I mamma I, mia yeah i was gonna like <laughs> yeah. is it is it is there an arc with like other than this woman eats a lot of people and then goes to prison <laughs> or like what's the what's people. the plot so so she's reflecting on her journey to prison and so we see kind of the snapshot of her meeting her last kill the kill mm-hmm. the only the only murder for which she is like caught and tried and convicted. Um, mm-hmm. And then we back up from there. And so the, the novel is written as a series. It's like um, flashbacks are sort of interpolated through her like prison reflections. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so she's the, the guy who she meets at the bar is Giovanni, right? Or no, no, oh, no, Casimir. Casimir. Giovanni sounds like he might be the Italian guy. Mama mia. Well, there are a couple of Italian guys. So she loves Italy. She loves Italy. She says that the only food. places she could ever live are New York City and Rome, which New I York think City. is wild because I think Rome sucks. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, like New York City also not great. I mean, Philadelphia is right there. We're and right much here. Better. We're right here. It's such a yeah. good city. Guys, it's a how really good, good of a city. Philadelphian am I? I just said go birds. Like I feel like I should be yeah, yeah, go some birds. Sort of raucous applause. I thought go we, birds, go Sixers. Andrew, didn't we like defeat the city of New York like 
probably like a few dozen episodes ago. Did we did, we just, like, yeah. We we really we really stuck it to him. Yeah. So it's well, not even mm-hmm. worth honestly. Like, don't even say its name. It's not even necessary. Yeah, like, like new new what city? What? I don't Apple, think so. Am I right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> So anyway, she has bad taste in cities, but she has good taste in yummy, Park. yummy, scrummy men, apparently. Well, <laughs> I don't know that she would argue that she has like great taste in men because she doesn't aside. There is one relationship in her life that we don't really learn about until the end of the book. That is mm-hmm. like she's like, oh, I definitely was in love with him, but I hated who that made me be. And I so I ended that relationship. But for the most part, she sees them as like a way to get what she wants, which is often sex and just mm-hmm. like power and just mm-hmm. a way to get information out of people so she can make them do what she wants when she would like them to do it. Yeah. She's, she's totally kind of hedonistic libertine. She's all about the pleasures of life. She is not the kind of person who would ever diet or like eat cottage cheese. Um, she yeah. has a really lengthy diatribe against tofu and like why tofu is bullshit. Um, she's actually, and I wrote this down. She's she is the kind of person that Anthony Bourdain would love, and I think that's mm-hmm. like one of the highest compliments that you could give a person, particularly a person <laughs> who happens to kill and eat people. You could also absolutely, and and maybe not on cam- maybe you never did it on camera. You could absolutely get Anthony Bourdain to have just a little, just a little people snack. Just Again, try. I think he's similar. It would be like, I have eaten almost every food. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why not the forbidden? Why not the, why not the most dangerous game? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should we um, take them through the, the death of Casimir, which is mm. pretty, pretty fantastic, Please. I have to say. Pretty some fantastic. Game Thrones, some Game of Thrones stuff right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Remember How do that? you want to start that? Um, well, so she picks him up at this bar and they have all of these raunchy interludes for a couple of weeks. And at some point, we're not exactly sure what point, she decides she is going to end his life. And so she concocts a reason for them to go to Fire Island, um, in, in the off season, in the fall. So the island is empty and she cooks lamb. I want to say she makes she cooks a beautiful meal. She cooks it's a duck. Yeah, duck. Yes, she cooks mm-hmm. a beautiful duck. Um, they eat it. It's delicious. They're making sweet, sweet love um, in front of a roaring fireplace. And there's a moment where she like gets bored and she just takes an ice pick to his chest. <laughs> Is it because sure. he bored her? I think she was just done with him. Well, yeah, okay. she pretty much like they're having sex. She has like a nice little orgasm and then she's like, OK, well, kind of enough of this. Don't we all agree? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then she, yeah, slams uh, an ice pick into his chest. It, well, no, just carry around right an ice pick or does... pale throat, in fact. Mm, OK, mm-hmm. OK, OK. And then she does uh, stab it in his eye. Yeah, I think she stabs not... him in the chest last. Yeah, she stabs it in his eye. It left the eye behind, drawing a slick slug trail of mucus. Gross. <laughs> yeah. And this, honestly, one of the breezier re- yeah. murders to read <laughs> oh, good. This one's fine. Yeah, this one of the breezier like, ones. And she just cruise, cruise. sort of like uh, Villanelle from uh, Killing Eve, she just... Mm-hmm. 
enjoys watching the life leave his eyes and she's like yeah it's one of the most intimate things that you can experience like i love watching people die mm-hmm. um she you know takes her time she cleans up very thoroughly she takes a long shower maybe does a deep conditioning mask on her hair mm-hmm. um wipes up any traces of her presence and then proceeds to just burn the whole house down and as she says at the end of that chapter, I'm quite certain the owners had insurance. After all, they had a lovely Le Creuset cast iron French oven. That sort is always well insured. <laughs> Points were made. And she, you see, she's so funny. It's impossible not to like her, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I have that to that say. was the thing that I noticed in most of the reviews of this book that seemed to like it, was that they really like clicked with it as a work of really dark comedy or Mm -hmm. you know not like it's satirizing anything in particular but just that like she is witty there is wit in this book even as it is about really abhorrent behavior and that's usually when like serial killer stuff or any kind of like really awful character works at the heart of a of a book or a movie or something is usually because they are like charming in some way yeah, she's quite charming, even when she's being her most obnoxious. Like she talks a lot about being in prison and having PhD students come and like analyze her because she is a female psychopath, and that's quite rare. And she's like, "I know, baby, I know it's rare. I'm gonna give you, a, I'm gonna give you the performance you came to see. Like I know what you, I know why you guys are here. I get it." And you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh God, this is obnoxious, but it is charming." Yeah, you either have to be having a lot of fun or you have to like have a code that actually makes it okay that you're killing all these people. And it sounds maybe like she's more the former than the latter. Well, she does have a code unto herself. Um, She says later in the book that her mistake in killing Casimir is that he was nothing to her. Um, Mm -hmm. And she never loved him at any point. And she loved or at least really liked and enjoyed the the presence of all of the other men that she killed. And she didn't even eat any piece of Casimir. And so she's like, yeah, I was, I don't know what happened with that one. That, yeah, in retrospect, that, huh. that was a waste of time on everybody's part. Like, what, <laughs> what was I thinking, really? And, you know, points were made. Because for the most part, yeah, the other other men she murders are men that she had had very long, most like years long for many of them uh, affairs with. And they had either wronged her in some way, or she had been wronged at a point where they like crossed her path again. And she was like, Oh, well I'm upset about this thing. And here you are again in my life. So Hmm. it seems time for you to die. And I should, I don't know, eat your butt. Um, quite, quite <laughs> but not like in a fun... Quite literally a rump roast um, she yeah. makes of one ex-lover. Um, yes, and that yes. ex-lover is called... Nice, nice, nice. He's called Andrew. Mm-hmm. And well, that's my name. It is your mm-hmm. name. I can't wait to hear how this goes. So she says, the bare facts are these. I mm-hmm. laced Andrew's drink with Xanax, kenneled his mm-hmm. doctrines in the run outside, dismantled the carbon monoxide detector, blew out the pilot lights in the stove, the oven, and the water heater, and let the carbon monoxide do its work. It was all surprisingly easy, even with Andrew's labyrinthine home security system. All you needed to know for the home security code was Andrew's IQ, 142, and his penis Mm. length, 7.5. Men can be (laughs) so predictable. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Why would you... 
long? <laughs> How long? What a good means. code for your simply safe that you used there. Oh, the average erect penis is only 5.16 inches long? That doesn't seem very long. Well, we're learning a lot today. <laughs> we again sure are. This is from science.org, so I mean, I assume this has got to be a... I, yeah, Science Bill Nye's probably proofread that. He probably yeah, knows. Unfortunately, this chart is in centimeters, so I can't. <laughs> All right, open up the old calculator. This is good. You know who's not a scientist? <laughs> not a dick scientist. <laughs> yeah, I think also, aside from the killing, obviously the food writing is the other thing. Mm. And she is very clear about, like, I didn't set out to become a murderer, but I did set out to become a food critic. Like, this was... <laughs> Something that I wanted to do, and it is something that I am very good at. She does drag a lot of real life, um, like New York Times restaurant reviewers uh, of past and present, and is like, they're flops. I'm incredible. But she does respect the greats. Like, she puts respect on Ruth's Mm -hmm. name, on MFK Fisher's name. I was like, okay, okay, you know a little something. You know, does, does, does like David Brooks come and take her to a, like a sandwich shop with really complicated <laughs> sandwiches? And she's like, I understand all these meats. No, but I would have paid cold, hard cash if there was just like a supplemental chapter about her just killing and eating David Brooks. And making him into a sandwich that Rubes wouldn't understand. <laughs> does it feel like it is, it is, is it parodying food writing? Is it just kind of luxuriating in that space? paying homage yeah it's a both and it's absolutely a both it's definitely parodying in as camille was mentioning kind of like the excessively florid phrases um but then it it does also she has a real and valued respect for the art of doing it and the art of food and the art of eating whatever kind of meat she feels like eating at that time could be duck could be a man's um whole body or a tongue the tongue murder is really something oh you kill a person to eat their tongue yeah did you know tongue. you have to skin a tongue before you, you can cook it and tongue. eat it i i could believe you don't want the little like taste buds on it right you don't want your That'd food to taste you back you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I just feel the listeners should know that Craig is just looking up at the ceiling as if for guidance from some sort of larger figure. <laughs> this is like a real one-two punch. Of like, first I had to think about tasting taste buds, and mm-hmm. then I had to think about the taste buds tasting me. And mm-hmm. it was really... Do the taste buds that taste different stuff taste different? themselves oh yeah oh because like parts of your tongue do salt yeah you got like the you got like the sour ones and the sweet ones and umami i was gonna say what part of the tongue is umami Mm -hmm. Uh, there's almost no way to know science is still (laughs) speaking of of mommies let's talk more about (laughs) about dorothy and her adventures (laughs) like the way that the book I know you said that the the murders are just like discussed in flashback, right? Mm-hmm. And like, do, what is are they laid out chronologically? And is she kind of like making a case for herself or discovering something about herself as she goes through each story? She seems to know who the hell she is, so maybe it's not that. I don't think that in the murders themselves, she feels as though she's discovering anything about herself. And they are in chronological order, aside from the the beginning. The first one. The first one. The last one, which is the first one. Um, 
But what it does really end up being is an exploration of like the one female friend that she had who was like her closest friend um, and the person she thought confessed to the cop. She thought she confessed to her and then that she told the cops and that really the reason she gets caught is because she gets quite drunk and goes to her friend's house attempting to kill her because she's convinced that she drunkenly confessed the story of this murder. Um, and she's like furious that she had a friend who betrayed her, that she allowed this kind of like weakness in her life. Um, and it is really mostly just like for her, it's a meditation on like her female friendship and like this one friend that she had and like that she is capable of having someone in her life in that manner. Yeah. And so we we meet this friend when they are not friends. They're, they're college roommates and they immediately hate each other because Dorothy is... It's, cool. she's, she's the cool Dorothy the Stallion, as earlier discussed. And the roommate <laughs> is this, like, prissy, like, cat person that's, like, very mm-hmm. precious and just could not be more opposite to Dorothy. So they hate each other. And then years later, they encounter each other in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the roommate has rebranded themselves as a kind of, like, activist artist making kind of sculptures that are vulvas um and she's like chained to like a some piece of construction equipment and dorothy's like you're more interesting than i thought i'm gonna look you Mm -hmm. up and so that's Mm -hmm. when their like friendship kind of begins in earnest um and so we see them both sort of um ascending their respective career ladders so this friend um, she takes the name Emma Absinthe. That's like her cool artist name. She becomes this like hugely popular and influential and reclusive um, New York glitterati kind of person. Mm-hmm. And Dorothy works her way up from the Boston Phoenix and sort of starts making her way through the publishing industry. Um, and she winds up um as a contributing editor at a place that's like a like a gourmet or a bon appetit yeah. big um, gourmet energy yeah big gourmet energy and mm-hmm. she loses that job because of media. what happened to media mm-hmm. and that actually sort of sets her off and hmm. puts her in the direction of killing that's killing why good. you got that's why you got to pay for subscriptions everybody because all these journalists out here who are gainfully employed now they're like one layoff away from becoming a bunch of bloodthirsty murderers yeah yeah her writing about like getting laid off from the magazine is truly one of she's like i have never been humiliated in my life and that was the one time i was humiliated i simply did not care for that feeling and i got wasted for like a week and baked banana bread in my apartment like (laughs) this is an unacceptable way to live Um, And when she goes back to like freelancing for magazine, like digital publications, uh, she says, I did some fancy strategizing and managed to monetize my blog. And can we for one moment ponder the violent deformity of that phrase, monetize my blog? It is so grotesque Diane Arbus could photograph it. She is writing about media in a way that I'm just like, yeah, this really tracks for someone who came up in that era of just constant overzealous magazine money and is yep. now taken from you this is exactly the rage that you would feel at it yep. and girl i agree yeah and monetize she, my blog is a horrible sentence it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bad sentence but you know what i bet she could write 
like a medium column for like six months and then and then pivot to a paid newsletter format. And I and believe I think by that, that point she had well already written at least her first book and was like yeah. working on her second. So like mm-hmm. she was fine. She was mm-hmm. just it She's was just an mad. unglamorous hustle and one she did not care for. Yeah. And she was real mad about Yelp, which CT reminded me of my past <laughs> as a Yelp. I was not going to blow your spot up. Listen, there's no, it's not a spot to blow. It is a badge to wear with pride. I was <laughs> is it? Yelp elite for multiple years. And wow. that. Do you get to go to like a conference or do they <laughs> mail you something? You get swag and you get to go to like free events like in your city, like restaurant openings and stuff like that. I, although that's what it was like in 2013 when Yelp was like kind Huge. of relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a friend that I met on Twitter in that era who was really preoccupied with being the mayor of certain places in Foursquare, if you can, if you wow. can remember that. <laughs> The curse, the curse at Foursquare. Yeah, when Camille and I met, I was so bored at my job that I read every single Yelp review she had ever written, including one of the 89 bus line. Um, because <laughs> turns out you do have to review like a certain number of things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So she had to write a review for the 89 bus. And you know, what I, it was a good review. This <laughs> explains your dedication to Pokemon Go. Like, this is the personality mm-hmm. that okay, would lend itself me. to Jesus. Pokemon Go. To well, like I mean, and what, success what I can, at Pokemon Go. What I can really, I can recommend, and Craig, I think you and I have done this at least once, is to look up sort of like. I'd like turnpike rest stops or like, mm. you know, a place where you stop because you have to and you get on Yelp or Google Maps or something and you find the reviews and you find somebody who's written a really good or really bad review of that and then just go and read through every review yep. they've ever written of yep. any place because a really it's a really rich text. Yes. Yeah. Google yes. reviews have become that for me. Yeah. Just like, yeah. What, <laughs> like what's going on with you that you felt a need to review like new LaGuardia? Like yeah. Google, what's on your heart? Here? What is on your heart? Friend? Google reviews are fascinating to me because like I don't know how to leave one. Like I don't who is navigating <laughs> to that part of the Internet in the mm-hmm. first place is kind of befuddling to me. And then yeah. somehow Google serves me their reviews. I don't even, how did I even get here? This is not my beautiful internet. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so yeah, Dorothy would hate us and our um, ability to uh, monetize our blogs and mm-hmm. write Yelp reviews, etc. <laughs> God, who knows how she feels about podcasting. Oh my God. Probably not good. Ooh. You don't want to know. Well, she might like the idea of just getting on a mic and talking. <laughs> If this book is any indication. Mm. But she would hate the idea of anyone other than her having a podcast. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> As, is there, uh, she has this quote about loving print media and says, I am a whore, but I am a print whore. And I miss cracking the spines to see myself splayed open in wet, glossy spreads of luscious, expansive prose. Jesus. Yeah. Wait, no, she this has This about a- an industry that published like books that were fully two-thirds advertisements Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every month okay you find your media and you know your medium works for you that's it Mm -hmm. it's a gorgeous thing to find Mm -hmm. i did when we were talking earlier about whether or not she had like a an ethical or moral code Mm. i have a note from that one interview she gave 
where they were talking about her Jewish background. Her She was raised Unitarian and Jewish, and she talked about how her Jewish father had worked hard to instill a deep sense of ethics in her. It was very important to her to imbue her deeply immoral protagonist with an ethical code, which does give shape to her choices, even if they're even if it's faulty. And then she goes on to say that she really liked the uh, cop character that she had, Detective Wasserman, but felt bad that she didn't get to tell more of her story. Is this a completely forgettable character who she did not tell enough of her story, or are there other memorable characters that we haven't discussed at all? I think Detective Wasserman seemed interesting. I think mostly because it was a moment kind of pretty clear from the moment she is introduced that even Dorothy is like, oh, fuck. This (laughs) I don't believe I'll be able to get myself out of. Like, Mm. I don't know what this woman has on me. She clearly has something on me. And the fact that I don't know what it is and I cannot control the outcome of this is making me furious. And it's kind of satisfying to read her being like not necessarily duped because she does in the end kind of doom herself. Mm-hmm. But the idea that she meets her match and like so many psychopaths are like, how exciting. And she's like, this sucks, actually. <laughs> I don't want to meet my match. I would like to pass. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. doesn't and become I mean- a Moriarty where she's like, now I must challenge this person to riddles. No. Okay. No, no. She does no. have a lot of fun, like, imagining what Wasserman looks like. Because the fir- her first encounter with Wasserman is, like, Wasserman calling and leaving a voice, mem- a voice message. And is like, hey, like, we're just trying to get in touch with you about XYZ crime that we think you committed. Can you give us a call back? And she's like, I immediately decided that I didn't receive that voice message. And then she, I'm trying to find where, oh, here we go. Where she describes kind of like what she imagines this woman looks like. And she's like, she's just some slob eating like a sad desk lunch, like wearing frumpy clothes. And then she refers to her as detective barbecue corn nuts, detective low fat cheesecake, detective spicy Calabrian wings, detective soup in a bread bowl. And I said, that is the most scathing series of epithets I have ever heard. (laughs) I did not know you could print slurs in such a manner. Detective Mm -hmm. soup in a bread bowl, drag her, Jesus. And then she shows up and she's like this fit, tan, like little Jewish lady. She's like, fuck. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I made a mistake. I'm, I'm fucked. I mean, I think in other characters, obviously, Emma, her friend stands out. And the men don't do and don't really stand out i think she is very clear about like these are the these are men who have meant something to me in my life and these are the men who i've also decided to kill and eat um but for the most part because she is you know a psychopath she's like my family eh, pass like they're fine we did what we had to do her mother was like an American woman who fancied herself a French woman. So made all of their own like milk and bread and butter mm-hmm. and like did all of this shit. And she was like, yeah, she died oui, of oui. cancer. We, uh, I moved on from that. My dad had a lot of affairs. He was a good dad. Like I have, I think she's like a sister and maybe a brother. Like, yeah, she's just the not oldest of three. She's got a gay brother 
and yes. then a sister who we don't actually hear that much about. Uh, but there's, yeah. no, but there's, is there, there's no like big family trauma that if we really just like cracked it open would explain everything about her, but she won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. No, no, cool. she's mostly just like, yeah, my mom like taught me how to eat food, like good food a lot. And that's probably where my food love comes from. But it's not like she, she ate one of her sister's Barbies or something. And that awakened in her <laughs> love of eating people. No, no, okay. it was really just that one man that she mostly on purpose ran over and mm-hmm. then was like, well, he's already dead. So. He's dead he's right here. And she makes a pate, which sounds right delicious. And she's like, yeah, yeah. and I had it. You know, I had the, his liver with a nice glass of Chianti and a and a dash of irony. Okay, yeah. like sue me, and the, I sue I chuckled. Me. I chuckled. Okay, it was funny. Is <laughs> there stuff in this book that you chuckled at that you were like, oh, I shouldn't have chuckled at that? Oh, like or most you were of surprised it, that say. you chuckled at it? Um, her the murder that she commits after she gets uh, laid off, she kills the editor, I believe of the magazine that she was laid off from who she had been like having an affair with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I can't believe the one that she got caught for was the one where she wouldn't immediately have been the prime suspect in any murder <laughs> investigation. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, she okay. Did a, she did really good, really good job on the other ones. And she is like, I mm-hmm. know yeah, this one was a flop, even though this murder, uh, the editor Gil, I believe his name is. Yes. Course. She is one of the other murders where she's like, so I instantly realized that I had made a bad decision. Mm. Uh, they take his boat out into the sound, and then she's like, why did I kill him on this boat? This is so annoying. The Coast Guard knows where I am. What am I going to do? How am I going to call for help? His body's got to float away. I guess I have to stay here overnight. And like the whole saga of her trying to cut his tongue out while he's like floating in the sound is horrible. It was but funny. Dr- it was dramatic. It seemed annoying. <laughs> um, and also, to be clear, the way that she killed him was she made a salad and he was like, oh, this isn't a fig, is it? And she's like, no, it's Kint's. Reader, it was a fig. <laughs> and he was super duper allergic he goes into anaphylactic shock and starts like freaking out and then she pushes him over the boat she's like he needs to have water in his lungs for it to seem like a drowning but this guy is big as hell and he's fighting me so she's Mm -hmm. gotta like chop a finger off to like get him to let go of the boat and then he's just too heavy and And then she's like well this was dumb to do it with anaphylactic shock because now his tongue is so swollen it's so annoying to cut out and i'm in the water we're struggling (laughs) Yeah, she has to like cut his tongue like from the bottom. It's it's pretty gnarly. It is my favorite thing about this one is like, yeah, I'm super allergic to figs. Not a hundred percent sure what they look like, but this is. (laughs) But I'm gonna. I would know one if I saw one. (laughs) Much like pornography, I would know it if I saw it for sure. But yeah, she regrets killing Gil one because it was just like kind of a pain, and two because when she reflects on it, she was like, that was senseless. He was a nice man. He didn't really deserve that. Killing him was like killing a pet. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. rough. And then her not final murder, because Cashmere famously is the final murder, but uh, her longtime lover from in, in Rome, her favorite city, who is married, who she's been like sleeping with on and off for years since college, mm-hmm. uh, Marco. is like a kosher butcher, and she really kills him, like full quite literally rooter to tutor 
Um, <laughs> that one is pretty rough to read because that's a lot of butchering. And of, there's just like a lot of fluids happening because she gives yeah. him a blowjob. And then the second mm-hmm. he finishes, she stands mm-hmm. up and just slits his throat. So, oh. Yeah. And she cuts a bunch of other stuff. And I was just like, that just seems so sticky and messy and it's another situation where she's trying to like get the body onto like the butcher hooks and it's like a whole thing even though she's a stallion it's just (laughs) it's a lot of physical effort and she doesn't have the requisite height you know what i'm saying to get to the yeah chain Mm -hmm. all of this sounds more gruesome than spooky which is fine but like it's not like it's it sounds like it wasn't a scary book but maybe a at times tough book to stomach yeah there are definitely moments that are tough to stomach and i will say again because i did the first time i read it read it kind of all in one fell swoop in a day i and when i did go to bed i was like "Ooh, well not gonna sleep tonight it's okay (laughs) like nauseated but also hungry also yeah and it wasn't Mm. as though i was necessarily spooked because as i did tell myself i was like well she wouldn't kill me like <laughs> but she wouldn't she wouldn't she wouldn't she wouldn't i simply haven't wronged her um i would probably entertain her for a bit and then leave like it would be fine we wouldn't i, I there's nothing for her to uh, but i still going to bed was like uh-oh but what if someone did kill me <laughs> interestingly enough the thing that grossed me out the most in this book was not the killing of people but the killing of actual animals because she goes to his slaughterhouse and Mm. like you get like all the explicit detail of like here's what an industrial killing floor looks like here's what a kosher killing floor looks like and then she has this like page where she talks about what happens to all the cow shit and she says (sighs) a a beef cow shits up to 15 times a day a total of 65 pounds of poop the weight of the, of the average nine-year-old child. And I put in my notes, can you imagine shitting a nine-year-old? <laughs> First of all, I think you're missing a calling as like some sort of literary critic, my friend. Because <laughs> I'd love to read that in a book review, tell you what. I just feel like any animal that has to poop that much, like, have you considered not eating that much? Nah. <laughs> It's or eating like better or different? That seems like that's on you, dog. Oh, those that nine let their stomachs get that hearing. way, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was actually the thing that that grossed me out the most. Was the, probably the, up, the Upton Sinclair of it all? Well, yeah, and probably because it's like, well, that's a thing that actually happens. Sick, sick reference. <laughs> in life, that like I am implicated in as a mm. consumer of food. Um, yeah, and so I, she talks I, about I, that too, which is part of why i said earlier that i think anthony bourdain would really like her because she has this whole thing of like it's wild that all of you would like eat something that you would not kill and you have no sense of like where your food comes from and like of course that's that is an old story at this point but it yeah. has a lot of truth to it mm-hmm. um, and i was like that, that she was, seems she to was be right. what that seems to be what has elevated this from hey uh, like from just being a cell block tango book to mm-hmm. actually like have some interesting stuff to uh no pun intended digest as after you read it. <sighs> I yeah. think you did intend that pun. I think you might have. You might Which have. Pun? Which one? The one you just made. <laughs> huh. That you said you didn't intend I'll to I'll have make. to listen back afterwards and see what I meant. 
Yeah, I think for me, the thing, the other thing that spooked me, and maybe this is just because I'm too gay to hear this much about straight sex, but sometimes when she was talking about sex, I was like, this is gross. Is this what we do as a nation? This can't be right. This is... Can you... She describes uh, the cashmere's cock as the straightest, narrowest cock she'd ever seen. It was slender that- as a ruler and nearly as direct. That's not appetizing. It's not. It simply isn't. Um, and I just, you know, nearly, uh, nearly evocative. as direct. Nearly as direct is an interesting phrase because it's like it's not gonna, it's not gonna beat around the bush. It's gonna tell you what it thinks. It's gonna, yeah. you know, not gonna beat around the bush, huh? Oh, no pun intended. That's a selection. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh, you know what? We're forgetting. There is an mm-hmm. unnerving scene in the book where she is over the course of like several weeks stalked by like a creepy old Italian man. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing that you read as a woman and you're like, oh, yes, this is familiar. Like we've all mm-hmm. had that weird guy who kind of like follows us. And she just kind of tolerates it and she thinks of him as her shadow. But he like rapes her in the foyer of her oh, apartment. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, or of in sort of the entryway of her apartment building, and she is clearly having like an out of body experience. Mm-hmm. But she approaches it. She doesn't even like seem upset. She seems like interested. She's like, "Oh, this is happening to me," and it's like she's like almost anthropological in her interest and like approach to the aftermath. And that was yeah, that was actually spooky. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she did. It does seem consistent with her character as mm-hmm. as you both have, have laid it out just like very interested in experiences and like pushing boundaries of, of what is considered acceptable this is just like a super wicked awful extension of that yeah she does approach it, it like. as like not like a oh yay this happened to me but she's like very much like okay this is another thing in the list of things in my life that has happened mm-hmm. to me yeah now I know what this experience is. Yeah. And she well, lets that go guy get an live. STD test. Yeah. yeah. She gets an STD test. She puts on like a fake wedding ring so that the doctors like won't bother her about like why she's asking Italian for this test. Italian doctors, so provincial. Yeah. And she, and she, it never comes up again. Huh. Never comes up again. She doesn't hunt the guy down. She's just like, okay. But it is also sort of par for the course in her like how she thinks about femininity and womanness there there's a lot of meditating on that throughout okay. the book about like how much of a how much labor it 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 calls for just like womanhood and femininity and the artifice of femininity um and there's a there's a passage where she compares femininity to like a big mac like just as prefab just as soulless um and like it doesn't matter that it's artificial it just matters that it tastes good Mm -hmm. um and it was like a corollary to that um the cool girl speech from gone girl Mm -hmm. it feels like another entry Mm -hmm. in that like genre of things yeah interesting to have named a second mcdonald's sandwich in the course of this one hour long podcast she wrote she wrote something about um about lipstick for the hairpin and she wrote a, a article about uh like dresses for racked um and both of them seemed like relevant to that of just like kind of 
unpacking the labor it it, it takes to be feminine in conventional mm-hmm. ways and and yeah okay that, yeah one it, of the, do, one it of does the... really seem like she took like her 10 years of article writing and then was like <laughs> yeah. what about it was what if it was also a, a character who murdered and ate people yeah <laughs> one of the like few tender moments she has like with her mother as a child is her mom like showing her makeup and telling her that like beauty is armor and she says something like my girlfriends taught me femininity was junk food my mother taught me beauty is armor both are true um, mm. which is like a pretty good encapsulation about how she thinks about herself as she moves through the world. Sure. Um, and it would be, we would be remiss as two noted uh, homosexuals to not say that she does have a couple dalliances with women early in her days uh, living in Boston. She's like, look, I'm six one. I'm a redhead. Women hit on me. It is just what happens. Um, I, I've been there, done that. Not for me so much, but you know, God bless, like go off ladies. She definitely ruins one woman's life. No doubt about it. Like this yeah, she like, was like very sh- uptight M- MIT student who was like, I'm straight. And she was like, no, you're not. Let me show you. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, she got a little obsessed with me. So I just like moved, didn't tell her. Hmm. Cool. Iconic behavior. <laughs> I fear. Legends. Yeah. Book whips, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> no notes, 10 tens. She is uh innocent, your honor. And so the like the the and so she's been writing from prison this whole mm-hmm. time and then you get to the end of the book, is it just I assume there's no and then I learned a, a important lesson about not eating people. I assume the lesson is just like, yeah, I'm a badass and I'm awesome. The end. In in many ways, yes. I mean the 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 end of the book is her reflecting on both her friendship with Emma and this one romantic relationship she had with Alex. A man, Alex. I was going to say his name wasn't Andrew, but it definitely was an A. And she like, at some point they were dating for like a while. She realized that she's in love with him at some point. He proposes to her and she like sees the woman that she has become. And she's like, Ooh, I hate that woman though. Like if I saw that woman, I would want to kill her. So I'm absolutely not going to be marrying you. And then she's like, maybe that was a mistake, but I had to be, my, I had to be me, had to be free to be me. And I let him go. <laughs> and you know, knowing yourself is beautiful in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually that is the thing. Like, I think this coincides, like this happens mm-hmm. around the same time that she loses her job. But as she's reflecting, she's like, actually, losing Alex was more important than I realized at the time. And it was at that point that I decided to look up my old boyfriend um, who she had killed. And she says, I like being by myself. You see, I just didn't want to be alone. And now I never will be. Got all of them in her tongue. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. The- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a cool person to spend a few hundred pages with. Again, I wish I was kidding. Can't recommend it enough. <laughs> she <laughs> is. She's so funny. She she yeah, says sure. she describes the internet as being as weightless as a fart, which is just, just sure <laughs> incredible artistry. Yeah. I feel, and it just, it just sounds like a book that you will be fully on board with or fully not. Yes, it feels like 100%. there's not a lot of That's room true. to to in the middle on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for telling us about this cool book. I'm glad I I got to, by proxy, meet this lady who is in jail, so she can't kill me. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad I got to hear about it without 
reading it because I'm not sure how I would <laughs> not sure how I would have done. I can see both of your faces like just looking looking really concerned while reading this book. Just like a real classic Craig and Andrew concerned look. It's Worried. classic. Yeah, but I feel yeah. like, you know, if you like a criminal minds or an SVU <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is this is exactly your speed. I feel I really do. Most Th- heinous this of crimes. Like it has like flight attendant energy. Mm. Like it, like it feels kind mm. of. It's playing around with serious stuff. It's yeah. It, or like I mean, yellow jackets like energy. Oh sure, mm. yeah, yeah. It is a bit more gruesome than my beloved flight attendant. Um, <laughs> despite the uh, murders that do occur quite often in that one. But yeah, no, it, it does have a similar like playing, like here are your expectations of how this will go and I will be messing with it just a little, making you laugh a little bit, making you think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you enjoy really kind of voice driven fiction yeah, and you can stomach the gross stuff, say give it a, give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. It will be kind of gross, but you'll be okay. I believe in everyone listening that they will, in fact, be okay. Because <laughs> y'all are okay, and you made it here after reading the book, so it's fine. Yeah, they're definitely okay, Yeah, huge Craig. compliment to say that Camille and I are, like, mentally well. <laughs> yeah. You're well, here, we're unwell, it's not because of this book. It's pre-existing there. condition. Yeah. <laughs> now, liking this book is a symptom of, and not a cause of the, of the unwellness. Um, Gorgeous. Well, thanks for coming on and telling us about this book. Thanks for having us, dogs. Bullying your way onto the pod. <laughs> it's in the way that I really, truly love, actually. Mm-hmm. My Part favorite, of the charm of us. <laughs> our favorite and the McRib here. Um, hey. I'm getting them. t-shirts. Uh, if folks... Okay, what do you have anything to plug? Yes, plug both of your projects. Or don't, I don't care. Well, Did I don't have any projects. I have okay. a, I have a Twitter, some. though, if you want to yell at me about um, unlikable female heroines, you can do that. I'm at not underscore Camille with a K. Great. Wow. That's really, confusing. Have you ever really tricked him? Because you, yeah. you are Camille. Because you are Camille. You are Camille. Yeah. Similarly, I am also on the internet at C underscore Grace T on the old Twitter machine. I have a dating podcast via Autostraddle called Wait, Is This a Date? where we try to stop lesbians from not knowing if things are dates or not. Um, <laughs> 60-40 on that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm usually, I'm around. I'm around on the internet and around. If our listeners want to tell us about the their favorite meal that they've ever eaten that mm-hmm. wasn't a person, please don't email listen, it us. Can be, listen, listen, listen. Don't be judgy. I, it can I be a person. Think, we're not going to judge. We're not going to turn. Want... We're not narcs. We're not going to turn it over to the DA okay. or whatever. Okay. All the right. DEA. The, the DA, the district oh, attorney. I was like, <laughs> or the DEA, honestly. Listen, They're we busy. were locking down our email. You send us an email about whatever you want at overduepod at gmail.com. <laughs> Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. You know the deal. Andrew, folks. Oh, Excuse me, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have our schedule. I'm sure by by now, October, the month that it is, mm-hmm. that we have posted our schedule for the rest of Spooktober, a spooky month of spooky books. Uh, Patreon.com slash Overduepod is a way to support the show, uh, get into our Discord, get bonus episodes early, 
and just enjoy yourself. Just have a good time. Stretch it out. In exchange for money. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what it's really well, all yeah. about? That's it. I hope that you're enjoying the rest of Spooktober, and I hope that we are too. Uh, that's it. All right, everybody. Until we eat you next time, try to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> was a headgum podcast all right so it's a pretty long it's like a pretty long penis yeah and i and and we regret the error (laughs) (laughs) the overdue family regrets the error (laughs) we're posting a note to our twitter page soon we'll get Mm -hmm. to it Mm mm-hmm